Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Well, we have now entered John chapter 17. We actually entered it last Sunday, and we're continuing it on the broadcast today. The account of Christ's high priestly prayer, which is the conclusion to his upper room discourse with his apostles before Jesus went into the garden and was betrayed, arrested, and taken to trial and eventually to crucifixion, which took place in a matter of a few short hours. But this prayer in John chapter 17, Christ's high priestly prayer, shows us Christ interceding for his own unto the Heavenly Father. It is considered by many to be one of the most important chapters in all the Bible, and I certainly concur with that evaluation. It is an astonishing record of Christ's prayer. It contains so much help and information for the people of God as we consider what the Holy Spirit has given to us here. I almost feel sometimes like I am like I'm I'm like Moses, standing before the burning bush and need to take the shoes from off my feet because I am treading on holy ground when I enter into John chapter seventeen. And so I trust that the Lord will help us to be able to communicate the significance, the impact, the truth, the, the uh, sense of holiness, and, and the, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm lost for words, so I just will stop there and say welcome to this Sunday, November 19. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for considering your financial support to keep the Beacon broadcast on this station. Well, Christ is praying. Here's what it says, John 17, 1. Jesus spoke these words. I take that to refer to the looking backwards to the previous chapters containing the words of the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, and after that, word said, we now have the words of Christ's prayer, which continue on from verse 1 to the end of the chapter in verse 26. And he begins by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. And so we have this 
highly significant, obviously unique prayer for Christ prayed things that we do not pray, and he failed to pray for things that we do should and do pray for, such as confession of sins. But nevertheless, it is a great instructor to us, not only for the information that is found within the words of this prayer that are recorded for us by the Holy Spirit, but an example of how we ourselves can pray God-honoring prayers. And so Christ prayed, probably still in the upper room. That really, really does seem to be the best conclusion of where he was, but maybe more important would be to consider the posture that he, that he um, adopted for this particular prayer. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now the question is, what was, what was his posture when he lifted up his eyes to heaven? Was he standing? Possibly. Was he sitting? Maybe. Was he reclining? That was the common way for Jews to arrange themselves around a table for a significant meal like the Passover meal. And that would certainly be possible. And so then the question is, what is the proper posture for prayer? And the answer to that is, the Bible indicates different postures, all of which are appropriate. The Bible talks about kneeling in prayer, as Daniel did. The Bible indicates at times heads bowed in prayer, other times heads raised in prayer, as Jesus did here. He spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. He evidently is looking up to heaven with his eyes wide open. That would seem probably a little bit strange to us because we are accustomed to closing our eyes to pray and are taught that that's the best thing to do. And I understand the reason for that teaching, and I employ it myself. When I pray, I close my eyes. That helps me to focus on God rather than what's going on around me. It helps me, in a sense, to shut out the environment that I am in, whatever that may be, and to focus upon God. But from a biblical standpoint, there is nothing that indicates that we are pleasing God more praying with our eyes closed than we are with our eyes opened, which tells me, among other things, it tells me that it's a perfectly appropriate, for example, to pray when you're driving down the highway. Now, not to the neglect of paying attention to your driving, and I'm sure that in a busy city context, that probably isn't even possible except just really short prayers. Lord, help me to get where I'm going on time without an accident. Lord, thank you for keeping me from hitting that car or being hit by that car and so forth and so on. But what about being out on a highway, maybe with virtually no other cars around, humming along mile after mile after mile? Would that be an appropriate time to pray? I suggest that it would be a very appropriate time to pray. Would that be an appropriate time to close your eyes in prayer? Absolutely not. 
And the whole point being that the Bible doesn't teach us a particular posture, whether kneeling or standing. I know some men who prefer to walk as they pray. They find a a private place, like walking out in the woods or something like that, but they find that they do a much better job praying if they can find a private setting where they can walk as they talk to the Lord. It keeps them awake. It keeps them alert. It keeps them from getting sleepy. And they find that to be a very appropriate way to pray. Uh, Have you ever known anyone like that? I don't particularly do it that way, but it certainly would be appropriate. What I do think the Bible is teaching us is when we pray, there should always be some kind of change or shift in our posture. We adopt a different posture than what we were doing. Christ was talking to his disciples. All he had to do to get into a proper posture for prayer is from that position, whatever it was, sitting, standing, reclining, to shift his attention away from the apostles and lift his eyes up to heaven. But that rather small change in his posture was an appropriate change for the business of prayer. And so I would encourage you to have a special posture, maybe one that that suits you well. I have one, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. I have never done that. I think only my wife would know. I have never done that, though I have adopted this particular posture years ago, and I find it very suitable for me. It may not suit anyone else at all, but it's very suitable for me for my long periods of prayer, for my extended times of prayer, when I'm in my study in the mornings and when I'm having my my, uh, major time of daily prayer, which I consider to be one of the tasks, one of the major tasks that has been assigned to me as a pastor. Pastors are to give themselves to the ministry of God's Word and prayer. And I cannot fulfill my responsibility as a pastor if I do not have significant times, we might call them seasons, of prayer. And I need to find a posture that works for me in that setting. And I must tell you that there are times when I will uh, change my customary posture for, for whatever reason, because there might be a particular reason to do so. But I do have one that seems to suit me best most of the time, and it's different from what I would do, a different posture than I would do for anything else except to pray. But moving from posture, I hope I didn't take too much time for that because that's really not all that significant except to tell you that there are a lot of different possibilities here. It just needs to be something that will help you to remove your attention from the things of this world and focus your attention upon God and upon those things that are eternal. But now let's take up for a moment this question of address. How, how do we address God in prayer? And I have heard different people address God in different ways, and you have too. Some people, when they pray, just say, Dear Jesus. They pray directly to Jesus, God the Son, 
who is, of course, now ascended to heaven and in his glorified body and sitting upon the right hand of the Father, but he's still Jesus and will always be Jesus, the man, though he was on the earth not just the man, he was the God-man, and in heaven he is not just the man, he, though glorified in his, 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 his human body, he is, he is still not just Jesus the man, he is the eternal Son of God. He's always been God the Son, but he only became Jesus when he was given that name after his birth. That's when he became Jesus. And, and so some people pray to the Son and say, Dear Jesus, and pray that way. And there are other addresses that are used. I do point out that in the disciples' prayer, that is often called the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he said, When you pray, pray after this manner. And the way he told them to address God was by the words, Our Father which art in heaven, which sometimes we rearrange slightly to address God as our heavenly Father, rather than our Father which art in heaven, our heavenly Father. Well, that would seem to come pretty close to what Christ shows us here in this high priestly prayer. Let's notice how he addresses God. In verse 1, he addresses God as Father. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. In verse 5, he, re, he does that again. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Verse 21, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me. And again in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be, be, may be with me where I am. So, four times in this 26 verse prayer, Jesus addresses God as Father, not just at the beginning, Heavenly Father, but he repeats that throughout the prayer several times. And one time, I could actually say there are five times, but I didn't list this one because one time he adds the adjective holy. That's verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me Nope, got the wrong, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually in the wrong chapter there. Here we go, verse 11 of this prayer. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep me through your name, or keep through your name, those whom you have given to me. So four times, simply Father, one time, Holy Father, and yet another one. Let me make sure I am in the right chapter and verse here. When we come to verse 25, he calls, addresses him as righteous father. Here it is. Oh, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. So, simply father, four times, holy father, one time, righteous father, one time. So, six different times, Jesus addresses God in this prayer, and every time he uses the term Father, and twice he adds an appropriate adjective to that title or that name, Father. Father, Holy Father, Righteous Father. 
So I would suggest to you that if you are wondering about the question of how you should address God when you pray, all the evidence points to Father being the most appropriate way. I would never, never, never suggest that those who address Jesus in prayer are doing something wrong. I don't think that's inappropriate. And I can remember a man many years ago who tried to make a case for even it being appropriate to praying to the Holy Spirit, to address the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I've ever done that. I don't find any examples of that that I can think of in the Bible. So I'm not really sure if that man was correct or not. He was a, a Bible teacher. He wasn't just a, a common man, but he was indeed a Bible teacher. And his reasoning went something like this, as I recall it. It's been many decades ago since I heard him teach this. But his reasoning was something like this. Since God is a triune God, and since when we pray to any member of the Trinity, we're praying to God, it's appropriate to pray to the Father, it's appropriate to pray to the Son, it's appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit. Well, it seems to me that the Bible suggests that we should address our prayers to God the Father, but we generally conclude them with God the Son. We come to the end, and we've been taught to say, I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's the Son. Now, interestingly, and I think I have mentioned this before, interestingly, I can't find any of the recorded prayers in the Bible that conclude with a specific reference to praying in Jesus' name. It is true, Jesus frequently, on, on several occasions, taught his disciples to pray in his name, but when Peter prayed, when Paul prayed, when the, recorded, when the prayers of the recorded apostles and others in the Bible are included for us, none of them conclude with, with the phrase, I pray this in Jesus' name, which has led me to be quite sure that praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean saying Jesus' name. It means praying in the recognition that only in Christ do we have access to God the Father, and that we're only praying appropriately when we are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are praying the best we know how according to his will, and for his glory, and for the sake of his kingdom, and praying for what we think would legitimately be what he would pray for if he were making this prayer. In other words, we pray in Jesus' name when we are joined to Christ. We can't pray in Jesus' name if we haven't been born again, though we would say, I pray in Jesus' name a hundred times. It doesn't make it so. We have to be in Christ, and when we're in Christ, we are praying in Jesus' name. We're praying in his power, and we're praying for his glory, and so forth. And that's what I've concluded by this simple fact that on the one hand, Jesus says, when you pray, pray in my name. And on the other hand, that none of the recorded prayers in the New Testament include that phraseology, that leads me to believe that, as I've already said, praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean saying, I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And yet, having said all of that, that's what I normally do. You say, why? Well, it's one of those things I've been taught from a child onward. I've done it all of my life. 
Though there are times when I don't. Particularly when I'm praying um, in private or when I'm praying with my wife, sometimes I will just conclude the prayer with amen, which I think is entirely appropriate from what I read in the Bible. What I see, what I, what I, when I say when I read in the Bible, when I read the prayers of New Testament saints that are recorded in the Bible, it leads me to believe that saying in Jesus' name is not what is meant by praying in Jesus' name. You understand what I'm saying? And, and there's a whole line of doctrine that I think can be drawn from that. And I don't want to get sidetracked into that except to say this, that so many of the things that are found in the Bible are to be understood in, in not an exact literal in it, literalness. In other words, it's obvious that when Jesus said, when you pray, pray in my name, he didn't mean, say, I'm praying in my name. And how do we know that? I've already told you how we know that. Because when we find the recorded prayers of the Apostle Paul, there are a good many of those in the New Testament. We don't find him ever saying that. Or anyone else, Peter, any of the other apostles or or leaders, those of which there are recorded prayers in the Bible, we don't find any of them saying that. Does that mean that all of those prayers that we find recorded in the Bible, that none of them were, were actually true prayers because none of them were prayed in Jesus' name? No, I would submit to you that they were all prayed in Jesus' name. And that tells me that to say that we should pray in Jesus' name is not to be taken in the literal sense that this is what you say, it is to be taken in the more theological sense of think of what this means. The things that I said earlier about what this means. We come to the Father in the name of Christ when we come in the atonement of Christ, when we come as one who belongs to Christ, who believes in Christ, as we come to one, as one who represents Christ, as we come to one who is praying what we understand to, would be the will of Christ and so forth, then we are praying in Jesus' name. Jesus' name doesn't mean necessarily that I say Jesus' name. This, by the way, has application to a narrower group of people, but to those who teach that when you baptize someone, you must baptize them by saying the words, I baptize you in Jesus' name, because we do find that in the New Testament, though we also find... Jesus telling his apostles to baptize the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what I say when I baptize someone. So how do we reconcile those two things? Are, are those people right who say that unless you were baptized in the name of Jesus and only in the name of Jesus, putting great emphasis upon the right words that are said, Shouldn't it be obvious that if you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you are being baptized in Jesus' name? He's included there in the term the Son. But, of course, you didn't say exactly the word Jesus, Jesus' name. But, you see, that's what I'm trying to say. These statements in the Bible, taken in the context of what else we find in the Bible, point in a different direction than this kind of 
literalness, which really turns out to be almost a, a kind of superstition. If I say it, if I say the words in Jesus' name, then it becomes valid, but otherwise it's not. No, because there are an awful lot of prayers that are actually invalid, even though they include the words, I pray this in Jesus' name, because they aren't God-honoring prayers. They're not biblical prayers. They are requesting things that we are not told to request and not told that we have permission to request. It, we, as Jesus told us somewhere, we have not because we ask not, and it was, the, was it the Apostle Paul that told us, and you ask amiss that you might, might consume it on your own lusts. We can pray sinfully, but with selfish desires, I want this for my own happiness, my own prosperity, my own health, my own well-being, and I insist that that becomes Jesus' will for me, not if you're studying the Bible carefully and properly. And you can say, make those requests and say the words in Jesus' name a hundred times, and it won't mean that that prayer is being made in Jesus' name, because in some cases it's being made contrary to the truth of the Bible. So it can't be in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name means with Jesus' authority. In Jesus' name means with Jesus, with one who is identified with Jesus in that prayer in every way possible. We can really, as Jesus said on one occasion, we can really strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And that's what happens in so many of these things. We're straining at the gnat of the nitty, gritty, unessential things that really don't matter while we're swallowing great camels of doctrinal error and things that are contrary to the revealed will of God. Let's not do that. Jesus prayed to the Father. Nobody couldn't have been, could have been more truly praying in Jesus' name than Jesus himself praying to the Father. And he addressed him as Father. And I think it would be wise if we would follow that. As I was saying quite a while ago, I would not declare that if you address Jesus in prayer rather than the Father in prayer that you are praying wrongfully or sinfully. I understand the special relationship which Christians have to the Son of God who was incarnate and became our Redeemer and died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins and the one that we relate to so much more quickly than the Father, whom we have never seen and may never see, even when we get to heaven, this transcendent God who is so far removed from us and so different from us in so many ways, and yet he himself, in the person of his Son, came to us, robed in human flesh, and made himself known and knowable, and made himself relatable, and made himself precious to us by his death upon the cross for our sins. And it's no wonder, therefore, that many Christians center their sense of 
oneness with God and their sense of oneness with with their identity in Christ with Jesus and would address him in prayer. But is it possible, having said all of that, is it possible that some of that betrays a little bit of immaturity and maybe we need to grow on above that? We should be able to have all of those connections and deep love and appreciation for Jesus the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us, even while we are addressing God the Father, who gave his Son. So, I prefer, for this reason, and for for what Jesus taught us, and what Jesus exemplified in this high priestly prayer, I prefer in my prayers to address God as our Father. And I just recommend that to you as well. We'll take it up again, Lord willing, next Sunday. Join me then. Until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.